good to be together this morning uh, celebrating what the Lord has done in our lives uh, through song, just, just singing to the Lord, making a joyful noise to the Lord uh, this morning, and, and then just to hear, to hear about this plant that, that's started and uh, going to be formed over the next year. This should give you excitement, right? This is, this is why we planted King's Church this is, this is why New Old Baptist Church was planted 120 plus years ago. It's to see the gospel go forth where we are, right? We want to make disciples. That's what, we're, that's what we exist to do. We exist to make disciples. At King's Church, we want to m- multiply disciples, leaders, and churches for King Jesus. And what a joy it is to be a, a, little, a little over a year old as a church and have the kitchens join us here for a season and then to send them out to plant in Concord. This is, this is exciting. We want to see a multitude of more leaders raised up and to be sent out across Charlotte and to the ends of the earth. That's our desire. So we, man, we, we're so grateful for your family, so grateful to see what the Lord does. Uh, if, if as he was talking and sharing about where he's planting, if, if that struck a chord in you, I would say talk to Ian. I, I mean, you look around, we ain't very big, but man, if we're making disciples, we're going we're gonna to send and we're going to keep releasing and uh, we want to see the Lord do a mighty work here in this area. So this morning, we are in Genesis 10. We're working through the book of Genesis. Last week, we, we looked at the flood and we looked how God's <clears throat> judgment was certain, but also God's salvation is sure. And what we're going to see as we continue through Genesis, and as you read the Bible this year, you're going to see judgment comes, but then there's also great hope that God's plan is going to continue. His plan of salvation continues. It does not stop. So this morning, as we, as we go into Genesis 10 and 11, What we want to see, our big idea this morning, is that we would be hope-filled. We would be hope-filled today because God's plan cannot be thwarted by human pride. It cannot be thwarted by human pride. So we're in Genesis 10 and 11. Oh, babbling babble, babbling babble. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll look at this text and hopefully be challenged by the Spirit this morning. Our Father, we give you praise for this day. We thank you for the salvation that is found in Christ Jesus alone. Father, we delight in the gospel. <clears throat> Father, we, we want to make Jesus known. We want people to, to move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved Son. Father, I pray this morning as, as we look at this text that your spirit would illuminate our minds. That this, this text, this, this word would, would be rooted deep within our hearts. That we may turn from our sin Turn from our old life and turn to Christ and imitate him to this world. Father, we give you praise for this time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
This morning, as, as we look at these two chapters, I really want us to see two truths that come out of this passage. The first is our pride leads to judgment. Our pride leads to judgment. But the second truth is our God remains faithful. Our God remains faithful. Yes, our pride does lead to judgment. As we begin in chapter 10, we see a new section. As we've, as we've seen throughout Genesis, the, the author Moses, in, in writing this, he introduces new sections with, with, this, with this word, these are the generations, or these are the families, or this is the beginning, right? It's a new section. We saw it in 2, 4, we saw it in 5, 1, and we saw it in 6, 9. Today in our passage, we're going to see three more sections introduced. So this, this first chapter, chapter 10, all the way to eleven nine, 9, we see a genealogy, but then we see also, kind of what the, what the author is doing here is he's introducing us to all of these different nations and peoples in chapter 10. And then in chapter 11, he's going to explain how this happened and what happened here. So first we see the pride of man. And as we read through chapter 10, we're going to see it build up in crescendo in chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel. But as we, as we read through chapter 10, we're introduced again to the sons of Noah. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. So this is post-flood. The, the nations are coming into existence. Many call this chapter the table of nations. We see 70 nations are mentioned here from the lines of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah. 70 in the scriptures is a complete number. Yeah, what, what Moses is doing here is he's showing that this is going to represent the totality of humanity. All of humanity is represented in chapter 10 through this, through this crafting of 70 names, 70 nations. Later, and we'll see this, let's see, late April, early May as we're working through Genesis. In Genesis 46, we're told by Moses that 70 people from the line of Abraham are now entering into Egypt. 70. And next week, the reason this is significant is because next week, Heath is going to be preaching chapters 12 to 14. Next week, we see a promise given to Abraham. And the promise is that through you, through your line, through your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So we see 70 nations in chapter 10, and then we see this, this movement into Egypt of 70 families, 70 people in the line of Abraham. And eventually we're going to see that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth are blessed. All the families of the earth are blessed. This genealogy, this table of nations begins in verse 2 with the sons of Japheth. And you'll notice you'll notice that each of them <clears throat> are different in size. The sons of Japheth are, are, is the smallest of the, of the names listed. And these are the people that are really furthest removed from Israel. They're the people of the coastlands. It's the shortest list. And then Moses moves into the line of, of Ham, the sons of Ham. This is Israel's closest neighbors. Here in, in really 6 all the way to 20, 
we see, we see Israel's closest neighbors. To the original reader, right, remember, the original reader here, Moses is writing this as they're about to enter into the promised land. So the original reader is, is connecting all of these names with people around them. So, so as they're reading this, they're going, yeah, I know, I know those guys. They're up there on the, the, the east coast, right? Oh, I know these guys. These, these guys are the ones that are just right across in this land that we're about to take over, that we've been told to, to take over. You see, so they're connecting the dots. For us, it's a little bit more difficult. But then, what I, I'm not going to read all these names. Uh, you can go back and read them together. You know, you should try to read them at your house, read them in the mirror, and just see how you do. Because some of them are a little difficult to, yeah, to pronounce. So, but I, I want us to just see real quick <clears throat> in verses 8 to 10. There's a, there's a bit of a, uh, just a difference there. Where, where Moses has been listing name after name after name. Here in verse 8, he says, Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. So he's mighty. He's mighty. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. He was a hunter, a mighty hunter. Therefore, it is said like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning, listen to this. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel in the land of Shinar. This is pointing to chapter 11. Okay? At this point, we've not been introduced to the land of Shinar or Babel. But in chapter 11, we're going to be introduced to Babel and the land of Shinar. Babel, Babel means gate of the gods to these people. The gate of the gods. Many of those in Ham's line through Canaan will be the, will be the people Israel will encounter in the promised land. Uh, you'll, you'll recognize some of these names in 15 to 17. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn in Heth. And the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zemorites, and the Hamathites. After the clans of the Canaanites dispersed. You'll, you'll see those as you continue in the first five books of the Bible. You'll see those because that's who Israel is about to go in and conquer. This land of Canaan. We see that in, in Joshua. That's what happens in Joshua. Next, so we've seen Japheth's family. Now we've seen Ham's family. And next, we are introduced to Shem's family. Shem's family, the, the one that really stands out in Shem's family is really verse 25. You see, to Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg. For in his day the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. So two brothers, from, I mean two sons, two brothers from Eber. Peleg and Joktan. Peleg, the author tells us, is that in his days the earth was divided. This makes sense if we see context in 10 and 11. You see, in Peleg's day the earth was divided, and then Shem's line continues through Joktan in this genealogy. From here, Moses tracks out Joktan's line. So that's chapter 10. But later on in chapter 11, after Babel, what we'll see is that Moses traces out through Peleg. And this is significant. See, this, this Joktan leads to Babel, who is making a name for themselves, right? 
They're making a name for themselves in Babel. But Peleg, in chapter 11, is leading to Abraham, whom God will make a name for. You see, Moses is doing something here. He's still tracing out these two lines. One line is going to lead to judgment. The other, the other line is going to lead to salvation. God is remaining faithful to his promises. This line of Joktan leads to judgment, leads to Babel beginning in chapter 11. At the end of each son's genealogy, so the sons of Japheth, Ham, and Shem, you'll see under there that it says there are clans, languages, lands, and nations. So it begs the question, how and why is this possible if there was one language after the flood? There's one language and one people after the flood. Yet we're told after each of these generations, after each of these genealogies, that there's multiple clans, multiple languages, and multiple nations. Well, in 1032, it says these are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies, in their nations, and from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. And what Moses is about to do for us is he's going to tell us how this happened and why this happened. So that's where we are in chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. I'm going to read 11, 1 through 9. And then we are, we're going to see, yes, we're going to see judgment. We're going to see pride, arrogance, hubris, disobedience. And we're going to see God's judgment. But also within God's judgment, we see, like we've seen throughout Genesis, little glimmers of hope that shine forth in this back black drop. So, starting in verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language in the same words. This is after the flood. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord God, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from, from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Here we're introduced to this land of Shinar and this tower of Babel. It says that they had one language. They're unified. They speak the same words. Yet they've now migrated east as you remember Nimrod, we pointed him out in chapter 10. Nimrod is kind of the, the orchestrator behind all of this, the architect. So they're migrating east and they land in the land of Shinar. And in the land of Shinar, it says they settled there. They settled there. One, one pastor says that this movement eastward should raise the question for us, what is humanity up to now? What are they doing? Because if you remember back in... Chapter 3, we saw that, that, that Adam and Eve are, are east of Eden. 
that Cain is moving eastward. We're going to see next week that Lot is moving eastward. You see, this should, this should make us think, what are you up to now, humanity? You're going into the direction of judgment. <laughs> You're going to do something not wise. So we see what they decide to do. Their motivation here, they, they decide, hey, I'm, we're going we're gonna to make bricks. And then what we're going to do is we're going to build ourselves. So come, let us make bricks. For come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens. So we see them building. You see, that's not bad, right? It's not bad to be creative. It's not bad to use our creativity. It's not bad to use our gifts and our passions. But at the end of the day, what is the heart motivation? And here we're told their heart motivation. Let's build a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. You see, they are trying to build something with the motivation of me, me, me. I want my name to be known. I want to be God. Just as Eve was tempted, she saw the fruit was good. She wanted to be God. She was declaring what is good. Here, these people, humanity, is declaring what is good, and they're building something to be in the heavens and to make a name for themselves. Isaiah, I find Isaiah very amusing here. Isaiah 14 recounts this story. <clears throat> he said, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Later, Isaiah will mock man in chapter 40. This is what he says. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. You see, these men, they're trying to build a temple, a, a, a tower that goes to the heavens so that it can be seen. And it can be a gateway to the gods. They want to become like God. They want to steal God's glory. They want to be glory stealers. They want to make a name for themselves. In making a name for themselves, they're usurping God's rule. They're saying, I don't want to be under you, God. I want, to be, I want to be about myself. I want to make a name for myself. God says he will make a name for others. God is the one who's in control. He's the sovereign king of the universe. He promises to Abram that I'm going to make you a great name. He tells David, I'm going to make a name for you that will last for eternity. He tells, G or he tells us about Jesus in Philippians 2, that he's given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We don't make a name for ourselves. God is the one who makes a name. So as we see this, as we, as we process that, that our pride, our disobedience leads to judgment, 
I want you to ask this question. I want us to ask this question. How do we do this today? How does this manifest in our lives? Do we do it through our jobs? Climbing the ladder in our job to make a name for ourselves? Do we do it through our families? How do you make a name for yourself? What does that look like in your life? This past week, I was in a coffee shop and I was studying, but I kind of got distracted in someone else's conversation. Do you ever do that? Like just kind of, I, I don't know if you're a creeper or not, but, you know, just kind of, just kind of listening in, right? Like, I mean, they're right there beside me just talking so loud. And I'm sitting there processing this conversation as I'm reading about the Tower of Babel. And the person that I'm, I'm hearing, she, uh, the person's talking to a, a financial advisor. And, I'm, and remember, I'm, I'm, I'm reading about the Tower of Babel. And it, he just so consumed, so consumed with money. Everything was consumed about money. Their family just, just kept talking about how much money they need, what they need, how much money they want. And all I could think about is, man, like you're, you're going down this road you're trying to put away millions of dollars to make a name for yourself. And it was, it was very me-centered as I was hearing this conversation. And I was thinking about it like, no, this is, this is a, the struggle of humanity. This is all of our struggles. Pride manifests in different ways. It may manifest differently in your life. It manifests differently in my life. We see others in the scriptures making a name for themselves. Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel makes a name for himself. Daniel 4, verse 30. Listen to this. Listen to what Nebuchadnezzar says. 4, verse 30. He says, And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon? Tower of Babel, Babylon. Make those connections. Which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. See Nebuchadnezzar's heart. It's me. It's my glory. It's my majesty. What happened to Nebuchadnezzar? He was turned into a wild beast. He grew claws, grew feathers, and he was eaten out in the field. I mean, that's what God does. We see Herod in Acts 12. The people said the words of a God, not a man. And Herod drops dead because he doesn't say, no, it's God. He says, yeah, give it to me. I love this. And he drops dead. Whose glory and name are we living for? Whose glory and name am I living for? 1 Corinthians 10, 31 tells us that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. Not only are these people trying to steal God's glory, out of their hubris and pride, but they're also trying to make a name for themselves. They've also rejected. So we see, we see they're doing all of this. They're arrogant, they're prideful, but they're also rejecting God's commands. You see, when they landed in the land of Shinar, it says they settled there. And then as they're building this tower in this city, it says that they, they did this lest they be dispersed, lest they be spread out over the face of the earth. This is not what God told them to do in the beginning. This is not what God told them to do at that second creation with Noah. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
The people were supposed to fill the earth with worshipers. Yet what they've done is they've come in and they've disobeyed God. They're saying, we're going to stay here. We're going to stay here and, and live in disobedience. So as we continue in this story, what we see is that our pride leads to judgment. Our pride leads to judgment. The, the final few verses in, cha- in, in this passage, 11, 1 through 9, is really the judgment of God on these people. God says, it says that the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. He comes down. In the mind and eyes of humanity, this tower is amazing, reaching to the heavens. But the Lord has to come down to see it. He says, I'm going to come down and see it. It's nothing. It's earthly. It's terrestrial. And he comes down and he sees this little tower made by grasshoppers. Right? Made by grasshoppers. Our Lord is sovereign. He is he's majestic. He's the one who reigns and rules. And he comes down and judges. He says, in light of what they said, come let us, come let us, come let us. God now speaks and he says, come let us go down. And there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. See, God comes down and he confuses their language. And then he disperses them throughout the land. Humanity's ingenuity and ambition led to chaos and confusion. This city, as we see, is left unfinished. This is God's divine antidote to human arrogance. He disperses them and he confuses their language so that they can no longer be in unity. They were to go and disperse willingly, yet God forces their hand in judgment. He disperses them. One one commentator says it like this in speaking to these people. He says, your intention was to build for yourselves a gigantic city that would contain all mankind and you forgot that it was God's will to fill the whole earth with human settlements and that God's plan would surely be realized. You see, God's plan is not thwarted by our arrogance and our pride. The story ends here with a multitude of languages forming national barriers. The people cannot work together to usurp God any longer. These new barriers are monuments to their sin. Yet within this passage, we see glimmers of hope. God does punish. He punishes here, but it's a preventative punishment. You see, it's preventative because God knew what they would be capable of. They would continue to go down this road of disobedience and pride. And then they would have no hope whatsoever. So God God saves them from their sin. He disperses them before they go down this road too far. And ultimately, this babbling at Babel will be reversed through the fulfillment of God's promises. Again, we learn and see something amazing about our God. Our hope is built and sustained by his faithfulness to his promises. Our God remains faithful, even in the midst of humanity's sin. We saw this in the flood, evil intentions, wickedness. God remains faithful. Here we see his mercy. Instead of wiping these people out for their pride, he's actually merciful in dispersing them. Their pride would have ended in greater rebellion. See, God is a merciful God. We experience this daily in our lives. He doesn't immediately destroy us 
as soon as we sin. He's abounding in mercy. This is good news for us because we all deserve wrath and hell and eternal damnation. Yet God in his loving kindness has poured out his mercy on us in Christ Jesus. In, in judging humanity at Babel, we see a multitude of languages and nations created. And as we trace through Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, we see something incredible happening. Our God pours out His mercy on these nations. They're divided because of language, but God makes a way for them to be redeemed. For our God is a faithful Redeemer. Zephaniah even prophesies about this in Zephaniah 3.9. Listen to what he says. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. You see, Zephaniah sees a reversal of Babel coming in the future. We see God throughout the Old Testament and in the New, pursuing the nations and grafting them into the family of of God. That's our testimony. That's our testimony. We're the nations. We're the nations. We've been grafted into the family of God. The promise to Abraham that we'll see next week will be fulfilled. At the beginning of the early church, as Jesus has ascended into heaven, we see in Acts 2 a reversal of Babel. The Spirit of God comes upon the people, the disciples. And he fills them. And they start speaking in different tongues. And the nations start hearing in their own language. This is amazing. The, the people from the nations that are there in Jerusalem start hearing in their own languages. And then Peter preaches and 3,000 are saved. The church is being built from the nations. This is what happens throughout Acts this is what happens as we continue through church history. Missionaries are sent. Church planners are sent to make disciples of the nations. And they're gathered into churches. And these different people that don't look alike, that speak different languages, they are around the throne forever worshiping God. God has reversed Babel. We are a group of people from all nations gathered together not to build a tower for our name, but to point people to the name above every name. To point people to the name that saves Jesus Christ. He's the only one worthy. So the question that comes from this Tower of Babel is, have you turned from your pride and sin? Have you trusted in the finished work of Jesus on the cross? Today, we've already heard with Alan reading Revelation 7 about the multitude around the throne. Will you be there? The risen Lamb of God that we saw in Revelation 7 calls to you to come. Come. Our pride can be dealt with. We can turn from it. We can turn from our disobedience towards God. Because Christ was judged for us. Yes, at the Tower of Babel, they received the judgment of God. But our judgment has been done away with. See, God is faithful. For he pours out mercy on those who do not deserve it. We also see in the latter part of chapter 11 that God 
remains faithful to his promise. We continue to trace the offspring of woman who will crush the snake's head. We saw that in 315, that there's a snake crusher coming. And we see it traced through Seth. We see it through Noah. We see it through Shem. And then here in chapter 11, we see instead of it going through Joktan, it's going through Peleg. We see this guy in Luke 4. Luke records him in the lineage of Jesus. See, the differences in genealogy make a difference. You know, a lot of times we bypass these names, but we need to pay attention to detail. We need to see these these names and what the the author is doing here. Joktan was not the one, Peleg is the one that the snake crusher will come from. Chapter 11 ends with looking forward to Abram. You see... In verse 26, as he's tracing out these names, he says, When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And then 27 to 32, tell us a few things about Abram. Is that he now is, he's moving. He's moving from the Ur, or from Ur of Chaldeans. He's married to Sarai, who is barren. All of these, all of these key facts about Abram are going to come out in the next few chapters. So we'll wait till next week to be thoroughly introduced to Abram and the promises God makes to him and his family. But these promises ultimately lead to Christ who ushers in the kingdom of God. You see, Babel and these humans were trying to build their own kingdom. Christ ushers in the kingdom of God. So as we, as we close out today, I want to invite Caleb and Catherine back up as they're going to lead us in one more song. As we look around our community today, we see many nations represented. You know, if we were to trace out our lineage, we would represent a handful of nations in here. In our community, there's over 100 nations represented. A multitude of languages spoken within just a few miles of this facility. What an incredible opportunity we have right here to see the nations be blessed by Jesus. You see... We're praying that God would add to our numbers. We're praying that God would save people. We're praying specifically for 50 new believers this year, that we would, we would be able to be faithful to share the gospel with our coworkers, our neighbors, maybe even our families that live in this community, and that God would, God would multiply disciples. We want to evangelize the lost. That's, that's our desire Even as as Caleb mentioned earlier, this Thursday, we want to set aside time to fast. I encourage you this Thursday to fast that God would continue to raise up laborers from the harvest. The harvest is here. It's ready. It's ripe. We desire for the nations to come and for Babel to to be reversed. For we want to see God's kingdom grow. We want to see people find joy in Jesus. Uh, We're about to sing a song that's going to point our eyes towards Christ and to the nations. So let me pray for us, and then we'll we'll close out our service. Father, you are greatly to be praised. Lord, we see a multitude of languages and nations that are dispersed at the Tower of Babel, but then in Revelation 7, we see 
a multitude that cannot be numbered around your throne from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, worshiping. Now, Lord, as we lift up our voice to you, we pray that it would be pleasing and that you would find delight in our worship. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.